This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 528 in the Book of Praise. We continue to seek to further understand our confession, the revelation of God the Son and our redemption. After looking at the names, the person of Jesus Christ in Lord's Days 11, 12, and 13, we now come to his work. And the church confesses, what do you confess when you say, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the eternal Son of God who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the word incarnate means in the flesh. You could just remember the song we just sang, the word became incarnate, made flesh, yet very God. The idea of God's incarnation or his coming into the flesh is very appealing to our modern minds that have a tendency to want everything to be about us. In fact, the word incarnational has become an adjective in contemporary Christian circles to make anything they do sound more accessible to common people, to the common person. Motivated by the fear that people might think that God is disconnected and far away from us in his transcendence, preachers are told to to talk less about God, theology, and to spend more time using incarnational language to bring God down to us with practical applications and moral lessons on how to be a good Christian. The idea is that people can relate better to a Jesus in genes. We'll feel more comfortable with a a casual meet and greet Sunday service that brings God to the level of common man. Missionaries are encouraged to just spend time with people and let them see that God is kind rather than hear about God's love in a teaching format. Sadly, along with this overemphasis on an incarnational God who is with us in our misery, many people are losing sight of the holiness of God, the, the justice of God that is also very clearly revealed in the Scriptures. They're losing sight of the declaration of God's eternal anger against sin his threatening punishment for those who turn away from him, his absolute holiness. Many people are left with a carnal or a man-centered religion, a Jesus who is only a historical figure and a great moral teacher. 
And the one true holy God is pushed further and further away from faith. If you've ever experienced that, that tension between doctrine and life and so reveal that what you confess on Sunday has little to do with how you treat your neighbor or your family during the week, then you can understand the tension between our transcendent God in, in all His holiness and that same God's imminence or His nearness to us. The gospel that we read in the Scriptures is that the Son of God, who is eternally holy, has also become human. Elizabeth said when she met Mary that Mary was the mother of her Lord, bringing the two ideas together, which is actually not even as shocking as the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary when he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Isaiah prophesied about a child born whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, we are shown the glorious, incomprehensible combination of a divine and human nature. And I proclaim to you the gospel that the love of God was made manifest among us so that we can confess that Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Let us celebrate Emmanuel, the name of our church, which means God with us. Let us rejoice together in the gospel of holy God's incarnate love. And we'll see that the Son of God is holy and the Son of God is also human. The scriptures are very clear about God's transcendence, his, his majesty, his power, his incomprehensible glory. And as we consider God's awesome majesty, we need to understand that the Son of God is of one substance with the Father. He is and always remains true and eternal God. And so in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Son of God was there too. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The created things reveal God's eternal power and His divine nature. So Romans says, all creatures are without excuse. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He does not change like shifting shadows, but he remains the same forever and ever. He is faithful to himself, so he is faithful to his word, and so he is both just in his punishments and merciful in forgiving sinners at the same time. And we read all these in, in Colossians 1 and James 1 and Exodus 34 and Hebrews 13. 
And then we turn to the Psalms and we see that, that our God is a God who rides upon the clouds. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. Isaiah 40 says that he calls out the stars by name. He knows each one of them. Ephesians 1 says he chose us before the foundation of the world. He is the potter and we are the clay, says Isaiah. He works out everything according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1 verse 11. For the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29 and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, says the psalmist. 1 Timothy 6, God dwells in unapproachable light. The cherubim before his throne in heaven, Isaiah 6 says, they, they cover their faces before him as they praise him for his transcendent glory, just as we did this afternoon, singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. When our Lord Jesus tells us that God is spirit, he does not mean he is like the created spiritual beings in the heavenly realms, but rather that God is completely beyond, unlike and separated from time and separated from all created things, whether material or spiritual or conceptual or theoretical. He is incomparable. His greatness is unsearchable, says Psalm 145, verse 3. He can only be known to us as far as he reveals himself to us. And even then, we confess that his revelation doesn't give us comprehensive knowledge of God, but rather sufficient knowledge to worship him for all eternity. The Son of God knows transcendence and holiness and glory and majesty. Just read Philippians 2. Christians must never forget that the Son of God is holy. And as we grow in knowledge about the divinity of the triune God and his majesty and glory, it can happen that we are overwhelmed by his transcendence, his majesty. I've heard young people tell me that they feel like their prayers are just fizzling out above their heads and they, they feel that God is very far away from them. And when we pray and pray and pray for something, especially something, something good like strength to resist temptations or increased love for our neighbor or reconciliation with someone we love or sufficient health to worship the Lord and then we don't receive an answer, we, we quickly wonder where God is. We know that feeling. It's very common today that people want a God who does more than just speak words of comfort to them in their suffering because they want a God who actually suffers with them. And the argument is that unless God himself suffers and unless he is affected in his heart by our suffering, then he's actually unable to understand. Many people don't want to talk to you about a holy and a sovereign God, but they want a God who experiences for himself the burdens that they carry. In old English language, that means they want a God who has passions, a God who is, uh, a God who reacts 
to what we are doing, a God who, who, who reacts to what we are saying. Now this desire that our lives might influence God is reflected in many different heresies, many different false teachings, including the well-known teaching of a man named Jacob Arminius, who believed that God waits to see if we believe in him before he responds by saving us. Although it's perhaps not exactly the same thing, this kind of thinking might be heard when people talk as if God's love and punishment are conditional on how we behave. They treat God like a parent who tells a child not to disbehave or disobey because it makes mommy or daddy sad or angry. We see that's not a very good style of parenting because it makes it clear that love is conditional. It's dependent on the obedience that a child shows. So you might even hear an exhortation, you should go to church or God will not love you. Or if you do what is right, God will treat you right. Or sometimes someone might even try to comfort you by saying God feels your pain and and you might feel even worse in your pain because now not only are you suffering, but you have given the Lord a bad day too. What do you think of language like this? How would it feel to have a God who is influenced by our life in such an intimate way? Well, on the one hand, we feel good because we know that he understands he's living what we're living. But on the other hand, it doesn't feel good for we have a God who is really nothing more than a lapdog servant with good days and bad days rather than a holy and a transcendent and an unchanging God that we can turn to for help. And as we think this through, we realize that what we really want is a God who remains holy and majestic and unchanging in his nature and faithful to his decrees, while at the same time he is able to understand what we are experiencing so that he might guide us through our joys and our trials. And the gospel message is that this is the God we worship. God himself accommodated himself. He came to us by giving us the scriptures, the Bible. He reveals himself to us in human words. And the scriptures speak to our hearts. Where we are, we read it in all our different circumstances. We, we see God explaining, revealing himself to us. And the scriptures give us words to say in all the situations of our life, giving us words to say through human authors who were appointed to this task, who've experienced the reality of life in, world, in the world after the fall. These scriptures, they use language, language like we do. They speak in terms that can be understood by people receiving them. They use comparisons and figures of speech that give human characteristics and emotions to a God who is holy. The scriptures reveal that God is personal, that God is able to live in a relationship with his creatures along with all the necessary attendant emotions 
such as love, grief, anger, and delight in their original, their highest forms. God draws us near to Him by guiding us by His Spirit into a holy life through His own words given to us in the Scriptures so that we may more and more understand and reflect His emotions and feel the bonds of being His beloved children. And we also see how much God understands our situation when we reflect on the creation of the world. When God who understands you, think of God as creator. God who is spirit, who is completely independent and different from all that he has made. He revealed his almighty wisdom and his omniscience that he knows everything when he God Almighty, Holy God, created time and material things and dependent bodies that are not even a part of his, his own essence. These things that we don't use to describe him, he created. His authority is so absolute and so extensive over all things that Romans says that he gives life to the dead. And he calls into existence the things that do not exist. Psalm 94 brings it right to our, our door. He says, does he who made the eye not see? Does he who made the ear not hear? Well, brothers and sisters, you can be sure that holy God, who chose you before you were born, then formed you in your mother's womb, and then holds you in his hands with such precision and care that not a hair can fall from your head against his will. In a world that he cursed with death that obeys him, while plagued from the evil one who is really just a being that God himself created, he fell from grace, that God does not need to be affected emotionally by your experiences to understand them. See your holy God. Know that he knows you, that he sees you. This holy God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son of God did not come into the world to find out what our problems are, but he came into the world because he already knew. If revealing himself in human language in a book that explains God's, uh, allows us to see God's revelation in creation, if that was not enough to convince us of God's amazing love, his understanding of our situation, how much more amazing is it to read and confess that the Holy Son of God went beyond this accommodation to the humiliation of coming in the flesh. The Son of God is also human. We believe that the Holy Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took on our human nature. God himself became incarnate. He not only created the things that were not a part of his essence, that created the things that we don't use to, to describe him, but then 
he took those things upon himself and became a creature that was like his brothers in every respect. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see how mind-boggling this revelation is. The Holy Son of God humiliated himself to the point of taking on our human nature in the womb so that he experienced the, the many changes that, that little Thomas Alexander has experienced until this day. His body felt hunger and he needed sleep for he had become a real and true human. His body wasn't the original model with the vitality that God had given Adam and Eve, but one who experienced the degeneration of the genes through the centuries, taking on the flesh and blood of his mother Mary. He was a true seed of David, a descendant of David, whom he had promised would come. There was nothing in his appearance that we should be attracted to him. Although he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and without sin, he was born into a world suffering the consequences of the curse that he had laid upon the world. His mother experienced the labor pains of birth that he himself had promised to Adam and Eve when they fell into sin in paradise. He entered this world. He, he felt the human emotions of crying at a friend's death, sighing in the face of unbelief, anger in the face of in, in seeing others being oppressed and seeing blasphemy, compassion for the sick. He experienced in his flesh what injustice is. He heard the account of malicious witnesses like we saw in Psalm 35 last week. He felt the attacks and the persecution and the hatred. The Son of God took on our human nature. The Holy Son of God is also human. We sometimes want a Most High God who suffers with us. God did better. He came down into the flesh to suffer for us. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we will never know what it is like to be under the anger of God for our guilt and to be demanded to pay for our sins. And we see that the Holy Son of God didn't take on our human nature just to, to have an understanding of the experience of it all or what more could God know. But he came into the world to take our place under the burden of God's wrath. He took on our human flesh so that he would have a human nature that could be righteous in our place, that could die in our place so that his own divine justice and holiness could be satisfied. We read that so clearly in Hebrews 12. He came to serve and not to be served. And we need to see him. And we need to be comforted by his voluntary humiliation so that we can begin to understand how deep the Father's love is for His created church. I think sometimes we just let the words go by, but now think about what we read together in 1 John 4, verse 9. 
in this, the love of God was manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live through him. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, still has our human nature. Not only is this, is this comforting because now we know that our bodies, our glorified bodies, are able to be in the presence of the divine majesty of God for all eternity, but even more, it means that our advocate before the Father in heaven is the perfect combination of God Almighty before he whom before he stands and the human creation creature that he represents. Again, this is beyond my comprehension. I don't think we can even truly explain the two natures of Christ in a rational argument, never mind even fully describing it. But we can rejoice in the marvelous conclusion. And we confess it together in Lord's Day 14. He is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. We rejoice in that when we baptize our children. We confess that although our children are conceived and born in sin, they are sanctified in Christ. Thus heirs of the promise because of God's grace. The Son of God took on our human nature, our human flesh. He provided the innocence and the perfect holiness that takes the place of the sin in which we are conceived and born. And as we grow up, we may continue to live through him. Our Father gives us what we need in his name. As the Spirit of Christ within us guides us and teaches us to, to ask God through Jesus Christ according to his will. We live through him. Rejoicing that he is in our flesh. He is continually interceding before the Father on our behalf. We, we lift our eyes, we see the glory that is revealed to us in the Scriptures. And it comes right down into our homes, our hearts, our prayers. He hears our cries. He learns about our inmost thoughts. The emotions that we experience are known to the Creator of all things because as we pray, as we bring them to the Father, they are presented to Him by our Mediator. And so we can freely talk to Him about life here on this earth. We could freely talk to Him about the children that He has called us to raise and nurture really talk to him about a course we might be teaching if we're, if we're teachers or the home that we're helping to construct or the engine that we're trying to, to fix, the diseases that we're struggling against, the sins that we hate, the temptations that we are facing. 
God is truly with us. He created the world that we live in. He speaks to us through the scriptures. He understood our biggest problem when he delivered us from guilt and the punishment we deserved. And he gives us a new heart with desires to, to glorify him. When we understand how important and life-altering the gracious work of God is for you who believe in him. When we understand that without the incarnation we would still be in the kingdom of darkness and destined to eternal punishment. But now that he has come we are in the kingdom of light. Then you will praise the holy God every day for his incarnate love. We have a holy and a transcendent God. May we humble ourselves before him. May we bow before his throne. May we understand the depth of his justice and his holiness and his anger against sin. We have Jesus Christ who bore that anger for us. And this is not something that we just think about at Christmas time. But we think about that every time we pray and we see our mediator. Every time we suffer and we cry out to God. Every time we see a baby and a baptism. And every time we celebrate the sacrament. Every time we hear the gospel declaration that you have life in him. Holy God's incarnate love. The gospel. Amen.